So we're recording the program. If you don't wish to be recorded, uh, please don't ask any questions or make any comments in. And then the recording of the program will be available on our YouTube channel, which is also accessible through our website, as you can see here, nursinghome411.org. Without further ado, we're going to get started. Oh, one more thing, excuse me. Actually, two more things. One is I want to say thank you to the New York State Health Foundation, which has funded these programs for the past year. This is actually our last program with New York State Health Foundation funding, so please do stay tuned. I'm hoping that we'll be able to continue and receive additional funding to do new programs this year, but we're going to work on, on doing uh, some programs in the interim as well. Uh, so if you're not receiving emails from me or from Sarah, you can sign up at info, excuse me, I-N-F-O at ltcc.org. We don't sell anyone's name. We don't uh, use it for any nefarious purposes. We send out, you know, occasional, we have quarterly newsletters and now a new monthly newsletter and some other materials. And other than that, and of course, we send out notices for programs. So please do let us know if you're interested and we will alert you to hopefully a um, future programs and a new schedule. And I also want to say thank you to the New York State Health Foundation for funding these programs. Uh, we very much appreciate it, and uh, I do think that they're important. Lastly, I just want to say that the, uh, as with all our programs, we try to put as much content as possible in it. Don't worry about taking notes. As I just mentioned, this exact, all these slides will be available in a PDF form on our website. Actually, they are available right now. And in addition, we will have a recording of the program, which you are welcome to use, and that will be on our YouTube channel. Also, um, someone is saying we have no sound. Sorry about that. Um, so hopefully Sarah can help you with that, and I, I apologize. But I believe that everyone else is, is getting sound. So we will get started right away. But again, as I was mentioning, sorry, the program is online, so don't worry about taking notes. I know they tend to be very content heavy. Uh, many of you have, I think most of you have joined this before, so I won't spend a lot of time on our organization, but we are a nonprofit. We are based in New York. We are completely dedicated to improving care and quality of life and dignity for residents in nursing homes and in adults' homes and in assisted living. What I'm going to be doing today is talking about, uh, as I usually do, a brief overview of the nursing home system to give our discussion some context, and then the focus will be on the new nursing home survey inspection system, which went into effect at the end of November, November 28th of 2017. So it's just been about six weeks now. Uh, but this is a nationwide new survey system, and we'll talk about it soon. I mean, excuse me, a few minutes. So the nursing home system, in a nutshell, virtually every nursing home um, participates in Medicaid and or Medicare. That's what we call generally a licensed nursing home in order to participate in Medicaid and or Medicare, and most of them participate in both, a facility agrees to meet the standards that are provided for in the federal nursing home reform law. So the 1987, over 87 Nursing Home Reform Act, Nursing Home Reform Law, we call it different things, but the Nursing Home Reform Law essentially sets the standards for all nursing home care in all licensed facilities across the country. A couple important points is that states may have additional protections to what's provided under federal law, but no state can have less protections. 
everything that we talk about in our materials, everything that we talk about in our trainings always relates to the federal protections unless we specify otherwise. Uh, the federal protections also, this is really important, are for every single resident in the facility, no matter who pays for his or her care, whether it be Medicaid, Medicare, private pay, health insurance, your private health insurance, et cetera. Now, the federal agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they are the ones who have developed the regulations. They're the ones who have developed the guidelines around the regulations, and they're the ones who have developed the nursing home survey that we're going to talk about today. CMS, in turn, contracts with the state agencies in New York State's Department of Health, as it is uh, Department of Health, Department of Public Health and other states, uh, and those agencies are responsible for the oversight that we're going to talk about today. A little bit about the nursing home reform law. As I said, the law excuse me, applies to everyone who is in the facility, no matter who pays for their care. The law requires that every single resident is provided the care and the quality of life services sufficient to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, emotional, social well-being. We've spoken a lot about these in our programs over the years, over the years, excuse me. All of those materials, again, that including the programs and the recordings are available on our website. They are free to download and free to use uh, for your own programs, etc. We are really happy to get the word out. Highest practicable, I know, is kind of a mouthful for people, and it can be hard, I think, to get, uh, to wrap one's head around. It doesn't mean highest practical. Highest practical would be uh, essentially that, you know, the nursing home, say, takes in a million dollars a year, and they've said they're going to spend 30% on administrative overhead, 20% on staffing, et cetera. That may, and then within that context, it's only practical for them to have, say, two CNAs on a shift. And I'm just making this up. Highest practicable means that we're talking about what the resident needs based upon his or her clinical, um, her clinical um, condition, her mental condition, her psychosocial condition, etc. So something that is really, I think, very special and that I always try to emphasize about the reform law is that it focuses on the individual. And the regulations that we talk about focus on the individual. The expectations that we have are focused on the individual. That makes, I think, the nursing home system and the reform law and everything that comes from it pretty special. Uh, and that's why these things in terms of regulations and the law uh, and their enforcement are so important. So just briefly, the law passed in 1987. The regulatory standards came out in 1991, 92. Uh, what's happening now is that for the first time in 25 years since 1992, the federal regulatory system is going is being, excuse me, significantly revised and updated. And as I note here, this is going to affect every aspect of care and quality of life. So a couple of things here, why we were doing these programs, why we got funding this past year, uh, is because so much is happening right now. So all the regulations are changing. Thinking about it, for 25 years, everyone, the nursing homes, surveyors, ombudsmen, advocates, families and residents, they knew where the rules were. Even if you were a new resident or a new family member, those rules existed and they were 
somewhat easy to find and to access or to talk to people who knew what they were. That whole structure is changing. All the guidelines are changing. So the guidelines basically say what kind of practice is expected to meet the regulatory standard. That is all changing. In addition, this is going to be our focus today, the survey system has changed. So CMS decided to update the regulations and change the regulations in 2005. It took them, 2004, excuse me, it took them two years to do that. Uh, the guidelines came out just this past November also, as well as the new survey system. And together we're seeing, you know, a lot of change going on. And that's why I think it's so important for people to be as aware as possible of what those regulatory changes are, especially the ones that affect their residents. And as part of what we did with this project, in addition to doing monthly webinars, is that we did a lot of fact sheets. And all those fact sheets are free, free to download, free to share. They're not more than two pages each, but they talk about each, you know, you know, many, excuse me, of the regulatory standards that we've identified as important. And they give you easy to use tools to understand what the regulatory standard is and how you can use them to support better care in your nursing home. Lastly, the FTEC system has changed. Now, this is not something that affects residents or caregivers directly, but the FTEC system is essentially how the surveyors, the inspectors, code when they cite a violation. Why did I want to mention this here? Because for years, if you think about it, for 25 years, surveyors knew when they saw a violation where the FTEG is, what the FTEG was, was, excuse me. And that made it, I think, fairly easy to implement some of the survey processes. The reason why I want to mention it is because it's another way in which the things changing and people not knowing uh, what existed from last year does not you know, exist in a new form now, that that can cause a lot of confusion. It could take more time for people to understand how to code, for instance, when they see a problem, how that fits in with the new regulatory guidelines. So essentially, this is, these are not things that I think people need to remember, but I wanted to give you all a sense of that there is so much going on, and that is why we all need to be more vigilant, uh, especially in the next few years. But I think, you know, in, in, well into the future, there's a lot going on, and I really want us to be uh, alert and careful. So getting, let's get back down to the survey process now, what's going on. Why did CMS make, make these changes? Well, for the past, I guess, about a dozen years, there have been two different survey processes uh, that existed across the country. There was the traditional survey, and then about 10 years ago, CMS uh, developed the Quality Indicator Survey, or introduced the Quality Indicator Survey. And that was being rolled out across the country it kind of slowed down when we had the recession in 2008, and it pretty much stopped being introduced into new, new states. Our state, New York, was using the Quality Indicator Survey. The Quality Indicator Survey was developed because it became recognized that the traditional survey was not capturing a lot of the problems that existed in nursing homes. So. We knew, for instance, that, you know, certain things were going on. There were other studies by the Government Accountability Office, by the Inspector General, by academics. Uh, we did some studies as well that found that a lot of problems 
were not being well identified by the traditional survey. So the quality indicator survey was developed to try to change that to make improvement. Unfortunately, after several years of the quality indicator survey, they found that in some ways the quality indicator survey, excuse me, performed uh, even worse in identifying problems than the traditional survey. Now that's just a general statement. They, they each had their strengths and weaknesses. And what CMS set out to do is, is, you know, what CMS told us last year is that they set out to put together a single nationwide survey that really brought together some of the, what were identified as the stronger components of both the traditional and the quality indicator survey. So as I said here, you know, see some of the goals of this new process. One is to have the same survey for the entire country. Now, nursing home, the nursing home industry has complained over the years that surveys can be uneven, that something that may be cited in one state or in one region of a state may not be cited in another region or another state. That is true. Uh, but unfortunately, what that doesn't, what that argument doesn't identify is, as I said before, that both the QIS and the traditional survey tend to not be very good at identifying problems. A lot of problems existed and they were not being identified. So when we talk about something being cited in one state and not being cited in another, it's important, I think, to recognize that Generally speaking, nursing home deficiencies uh, are under-identified. So what we have, in other words, is different levels of very modest uh, implementation of the standards. So put it another way, if you know something was identified in one state, say, for instance, uh, a big issue that many of you are aware of is low staffing, that you know, probably the majority of nursing homes, you know, based upon what indicators you look at, don't have enough staff to care for their residents, uh, to meet those needs, uh, to meet the, to provide the care, excuse me, to ensure that every resident is able to maintain, excuse me, attain and maintain their highest practicable physical, emotional, and psychosocial well-being. So we, we know that that doesn't happen and an awful lot of nursing homes, and a lot of that is really tied to staffing. Now, staffing is something that is very rarely cited traditionally um, by either the, the traditional uh, survey or the QIS survey. So if one state, if, you know, one state uh, does get a citation, one nursing home, say, gets a citation for staffing, and another facility in another state does not get a citation for staffing, but they have the same staffing levels, that does not mean that the citation for staffing was wrong. And our, you know, our take is that that likely means that both facilities should have been cited. So I hope that provides a little bit of an insight into what is going on and, and why some of these changes were made. What CMS did, and we'll talk about this a little bit further with the new process, is they made it more resident-centered, which I thought was really good, and they've also improved the balance between the structure and surveyor autonomy. So in essence, what a surveyor is told he or she has to do, and also what the surveyor is able to do based upon what he or she is seeing when they come, when, you know, when he or she comes to the facility. Because that's really important too. We want 
the surveyor to, we want to make sure the survey system and the surveyor is able to ensure that residents are safe, that some of these basic standards, that all these basic standards are being achieved. But at the same time, so there should be a checklist, but at the same time, we want them to be good investigators. We want them to feel empowered to identify, see what's going on in the facility, talk to residents, get their input, get the input of family members, get the input of ombudsmen, and really find out what is going on and dig in. So hopefully this new survey process, as I said, it just started in November, so we're just seeing it rolled out, but hopefully this will help to do that. So within the new survey process, some of the basic changes that they've automated many of the surveyor tasks. They've made changes to how residents are selected for sampling by surveyors. They've made changes in the off-site versus the on-site surveyor activities. And by that, I mean that some things are conducted beforehand, some data numbers are crunched, et cetera, to see what's going on. And then in addition, as I said, we're talking about surveyor observation, talking about empowering surveyors to see what's going on and to make determinations as to whether or not the residents are uh, free from abuse and whether they're receiving the services they need, et cetera. There are changes to the expected activities when the surveyor comes to the facility, when they tour the facility. There are changes to expectations for engaging resident councils. We'll talk more about that as well because I thought that was something that was really important in the new surveyor process. I wanted to spend a little time talking about how state surveyors will know about these changes because, as I mentioned early on, there are a lot of changes going on between the survey system, between the new regulations, between the new FTEGs and the new guidelines. So how do surveyors know? How do we have a right to expect that the surveyors are going to be doing a good job from day one, from November 28, 2017, on to the present day if our, if our facility is surveyed next month? Can we expect that they will be equipped with the knowledge to conduct a strong survey? And the answer should be yes. One, there was mandatory live computer-based trainings for all state surveyors last summer. In addition, CMS provided computer-based training modules. They did national calls and Q&A calls in the summer and fall of last year. There's surveyor training materials. There are videos highlighting the guidelines and there are a number of training tools on both using the forms and on critical element pathways, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Now, again, I know a lot of this language, critical element pathways and stuff, may sound foreign. Please don't worry about it. We do have some explanations in the, further on in the program. And all of this material in written form is available uh, on our website right now. So you can take this and you could use any of these sheets uh, to the extent that they may be useful to you. Uh, feel, feel free to save them, to share them, etc. So the surveyor um, survey system, short, excuse me, there are three parts. There's the initial pool process, there's the sample selection, and the investigation. Why do I think this is worth talking about? What we have heard over the years from a lot of family members, from the residents with whom we speak, from ombudsmen and other advocates, is um, they say, you know, the surveyor was in, the survey team was in, and no one ever talked to me. Uh, the door was closed to the, to the survey where the surveys were. No one came or uh, maybe an ombudsman or a family council, a resident council, and they came and they talked to us the last day. By then it was too late because they were leaving. 
So I thought it was important to talk about who is the survey, who the surveys are, uh, how they're choosing, pardon me, uh, their selection and who they're talking to and how they're conducting their investigations. So the initial pool process, this takes place, notice the orange box on the right-hand side because I wanted to emphasize it, day one of the survey. So we're not doing this, you know, in the last day of the survey. We're not doing this midway through the survey. When the survey team arrives, they should be spending time conducting observations and interviews and doing a limited record review for the residents that are in that selected initial pool. So the resident sample size, it's based upon the facility census, the number of residents that are in the facility. 70% of them are selected off-site, before they get there. Again, why is this important? Because they're not taking up their precious time during the survey week or survey days to be doing this. This is happening beforehand. And then in addition, they're selecting 30% of the initial pool on-site based upon the following. Vulnerable residents who are dependent upon staff, new admission, people that came in within the last 30 days and would not be in the records that are available to surveyors necessarily. Complaints that were received from families or from residents or facility reported incidents. Any other identified concerns that the surveyors see. Why is this important? As I note here, to address concerns that too often residents and families are not spoken to and don't have very much input at all, if at all, excuse me, during the annual survey. We just thought, I think that this is so important. Are they listening to, are they talking to and listening to and hearing what the residents and the families and the resident and family councils and the ombudsman have to say? So day two of the survey and beyond, and this is a quote directly from CMS materials, the remainder of the survey is spent investigating all concerns requiring further investigation for the residents in the sample. Facility tasks and closed record investigations will also be conducted. And I try in, in our materials to put in as much quoted material as possible. So you're not just saying, oh, I said, you know, Richard said this, or I heard some guy say this last year on the webinar, that you can come back to these materials and cite them because they come directly wherever possible from CMS. So sample selection, as I said before, it's based upon the resident census. The survey team should, quote unquote, include any resident who has a potential harm identified. The surveyor should prioritize using sampling considerations such as replacing discharge residents selected off-site with those selected on-site. They can replace residents selected off-site with a rationale. So if they see the need to be interviewing people on-site, they can do some replacement of that. Um, you know, based upon what they're seeing. They should be prioritizing where there is resident harm or suspicion, excuse me, or if it's suspected that there is substandard quality of care, that's what SQC stands for, IJ is immediate jeopardy. If there's an abuse concern, if there's, trans, if there's concerns about transmission-based precautions not being taken, and any other MDS indicator area if it's not already included. So if they're seeing something else in the NDS, they can also include it here. Now the sample should include unnecessary medication review. And those of you who are familiar with our work know that this is a huge issue for us uh, because it's a huge issue for residents. One out of five nursing home residents continues to get 
uh, antipsychotic drugs, which can be very dangerous and are oftentimes not appropriate for residents. So this is something that we've identified, that others have identified over the years. It's a persistent problem. So now they're saying the sample should include an unnecessary medication review. It could be antipsychotic drugs, as they say here, psychotropic drugs. It could be related to insulin, anticoagulants, opioids, diuretics, antibiotics, etc. Why are all these included? Uh, as I was saying, psychotropic drugging is a huge issue for us, but also there are, unfortunately, other medication errors and other medication issues, and this is an important area for improving nursing home services and improving the safeguards for nursing home residents. They should also consider adverse consequences. So for, they're seeing that residents are falling. Uh, if they see that there's weight loss, if they see that there's sedation, sedation generally relates to the use of psychotropic medications or, as we would say, the overuse or inappropriate use of psychotropic medications. Those are things. And again, getting back to what I said earlier on, that we want to empower and equip the surveyor to be thinking on his or her feet, to be able to make decisions and to look critically at what is going on. Um, to make sure that the residents are safeguarded and that they're receiving the quality of care and the quality of services that are so important. A little bit about the off-site preparation and review. So what they've done beforehand is that they've reviewed facility data to identify patterns of repeat deficiencies. That's something that we as an organization have been looking at more and more, and you'll see if you go to our website, we have uh, been posting more information on individual nursing homes that have patterns of repeat deficiencies. This is something that is recognized as, a, as an indicator that there is a problem, a persistent problem going on in a nursing home where it has patterns of repeat deficiencies. They look at the results of the last standard survey. They look at any complaints that came in since the last survey, including active complaints and they look at facility, <laughs> excuse me, facility reported incidences. Now just to step back one second, looking at complaints, you know, I know that a lot of people that we speak to, family members, residents, ombudsmen, feel that complaining to the Department of Health, that they feel very frustrated quite often because they don't feel like those complaints go anywhere. I think this, this is an important, uh, an important reason to think about making a complaint even if you don't feel like the complaint itself is going to be answered, is that those complaints do go into the system, and now we're seeing that they do need to be responded to a bit more effectively. I know, again, a lot of people that we speak to feel very frustrated that there's uh, that their complaint was not substantiated. Uh, we know that has been a long-standing issue in, in our state, New York, and across the country, but I do uh, we do recommend filing a complaint and this is another way in which filing a complaint can be effective, even if it's not seen uh, in an immediate change or immediate response to what that resident wants. Some relevant details, I thought, of the new survey process we wanted to talk about. So here are some of the mandatory tasks for, surveyor, for the survey team. They're not all of them. There's some of them that I wanted to highlight because the, the documentation for this is huge. So as I said, my program, this program is pretty content uh, intensive, 
We want to give you as much information to be thinking about and to know about as possible. But again, these materials, this material exactly is on our website. We have other information and materials and fact sheets on nursing home inspections and on the requirements, et cetera, that can be useful to you. But I wanted to get across here is that here's some of the things that they are now telling the survey team they must be doing. One is dining. This is part. They must be looking at dining. We'll talk more about that. They must be assessing the infection control protocols in the nursing home. They must be looking at the skilled nursing facility beneficiary protection notification review that re- relates to um, to being able to receive Medicare benefits. Uh, they must attend a resident council meeting or meet with the resident council. They must be looking at the kitchen at the facility. Uh, they must be looking at medication administration and storage. They must be looking at sufficient and competent nurse staffing. As I mentioned before, and as many of you know, because we hear this all the time from, from residents and families and from caregivers, from workers and informal caregivers, family members, uh, that their nursing homes do not have enough staffing to do everything that residents need. So this is something now. It's a mandatory task for the survey team. They also must look at the quality assurance or QAPI. Uh, that is something that is an internal program that every nursing home is now required to have. So, again, I think this is a really useful list. When your facility is surveyed, they have to be looking at dining. They have to be looking at infection control. They have to be talking to the resident council. They have to be looking at kitchen and how the medication is administered. They have to be looking at staffing. Those are the things that really speak out to me as being important, as what I would want to be making sure is happening if I was a resident uh, or a family member or an ombudsman or resident or family council member. So I'm going to talk a little bit very briefly, but I just wanted to make you aware that there is a facility matrix that the facility completes and provides. The uh, This is a draft, as I note here. It's a draft from CMS. But all this comes directly from CMS, so they, they provide information on residents that have been admitted within the past 30 days, uh, residents with Alzheimer's or the dementia, mental illness, et cetera, medications and medication use, facility-acquired pressure ulcers, worsening pressure ulcers, excessive weight loss, tube feeding, dehydration, physical restraints, falls. I won't continue, but you can see you have this list here that this you know, really gives you a sense of some of the more critical issues that we all know exist for nursing home residents uh, in different ways. So, you know, obviously most of our residents now have Alzheimer's or another form of dementia to some degree. That makes it an important issue. Uh, we know that the pressure ulcers is a very important issue, etc. So here I just also wanted to give it to you in a format that the nursing homes will be using. So we're going to go on to some specifics now of some of the areas that I thought were particularly important to talk about. Components of the resident interview. So surveyors must complete a full observation, interview, and a limited record review for each resident that is included in that initial pool. And that's why I wanted to spend some time earlier on talking about how that initial pool is selected. So remember, 70% of it takes place before they enter the facility. So they've crunched some numbers, they've they've identified some individuals that they should be interviewing for, you know, whether medical or psychosocial or or other reasons. And then in addition, 30% are selected 
should be day one when the surveyors get there and say, hey, what's going on? Who should I be talking to? Who's come in? Who's had a problem that I may need to be speaking to them? So, and here's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to screen to see if the resident is interviewable. There are suggested questions that are given to the surveyors, but the surveyors have discretion. And that gets back to what I was saying before. We want the surveyors to have the tools, but we also want them to be equipped and empowered to be asking questions and to be conducting a good investigation and a strong investigation. All care areas should be addressed in the resident interview, and the care areas should cover quality of life, residents' rights, and quality of care. As I note in the little bubble, cloud bubble on the side, the interviews are expected to take about 20 minutes. That came from CMS. That's not my saying it. That's from CMS. So we really want the interviewers, the surveyors, to spend some quality time with the people that they're talking to. It's not a five-minute pass. It is really spending time and getting to know those selected residents, what is going on with them. Here's a scenario that I thought was worth including from the CMS surveyor training. So for any concern expressed by the resident, you will ask additional questions until you can determine whether the concern can be ruled out or needs to be investigated further, which means you think there may be a sufficient practice. For example, if the resident says they had an issue with their roommate, but the facility addressed the concern to their satisfaction, you would not need to investigate further. Conversely, you would want to investigate a concern if the resident says they have lost weight recently because of their loose dentures and that have not been addressed by the facility. So I thought that was a good example. And just, you know, it's just one example, but it gives you a sense, I hope, of what CMS is expecting that the surveyors will be thinking about and what they'll be doing when they're talking to residents. Speaking to a resident representative or a family member. Now, this is to be done if the resident is not interviewable. The individual should be familiar with the resident's care, and the goal for the survey team is to complete at least three interviews in the first day that they're in the facility. Here's a note um, from CMS um, in the training. If you are unable to complete three representative family interviews during the initial pool process, you have until the end of the survey to complete them. However, the team should complete the interviews early enough in the survey to have enough time to follow up on any concerns that have been raised by the family members, by the residents, if it's a resident interview, uh, by the representative, etc. So that, I thought, was really important. It gets at what I was saying before, is that we don't want the survey team to come in and feel like speaking to the resident, speaking to the resident's representatives is an afterthought or just something that they need to check off having done by the end of the survey. CMS is saying explicitly this should happen early, as early as possible, and it should absolutely be happening early enough that there's follow-up on any issues raised or concerns raised. Limited review of the resident records. Now, after observation interviews are complete, surveyors will complete a limited record review for certain conditions. The intent is to ensure that the survey team spends the majority of its time on interview and on observation. So for all the residents in the initial pool, 
They should do a brief review for advanced directives or to confirm or clarify specific information based on your interviews and observations, such as confirming the presence of a pressure officer. So we're really talking about why I included this here is that we're talking about the surveyor really doing, doing an investigation, really looking and seeing what is going on, um, what is actually happening with the residents. For any resident that's not interviewed, the surveyor should review relevant care areas in the resident's record. For example, and this is again it's from CMS, if a resident is not interviewable, review the record for pressure ulcers, infections, and elopements. So, because when we think of someone as not being interviewable, it's oftentimes someone who has uh, significant dementia, it might be someone who has a traumatic brain injury, etc. Those residents, this is something that I've always worried about. Well, what about them? I mean, we shouldn't forget about them because they can't be interviewed. Here, CMS is saying the expectation is that their records should be reviewed for pertinent issues that could occur, that often occur in those situations. For any resident in the initial pool, this gets to the drugging issue again. For any resident in the initial pool who is receiving insulin, an anticoagulant, or an antipsychotic with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia, or if a resident has an appropriate diagnosis but is not receiving PASAR Level 2 services, review the record to confirm the information. So they want to make sure that that is appropriate. And then for newly admitted residents, review for high-risk medications again. So we are seeing a greater focus, as we've long called for, on making sure that residents are receiving um, only the medications that they need and that are clinically appropriate to, re, you know, to treat a diagnosed condition. Dining. So this is, as you can imagine, uh, as many of you know firsthand, I should say, uh, really important, what goes on in the dining room. Surveyors now are required to observe the first scheduled full meal that takes place in the facility. Uh, so let me say it again. If, if the survey team shows up on Tuesday morning, they are required to observe Tuesday lunch or Tuesday dinner once they get once they get settled. But that's a requirement. It's expected to have surveyors covering all dining areas in the facility and room trays. If there are more dining areas than surveyors, the surveyors should prioritize the dining areas with the most dependent residents. The surveyor should observe enough of the dining experience to adequately identify concerns. If feasible, observe the meal for initial pool residents who have any weight loss. So remember, those are the people that were selected who may have been selected for weight loss. We should see, are they receiving the help, the appropriate food, etc., that they need to gain weight back or to stop, stop any weight loss? If concerns are identified, the surveyors should observe a subsequent meal. So why do I focus on this? I think dining is, is so important. It gets at, obviously, nutrition. It gets at how the, the care is provided. Are you seeing that people are lined up outside a dining room hours in advance of a meal uh, because there's not enough staff to help them get, get to the dining room at a reasonable time? Are we seeing that surveys, excuse me, that the, uh, the aides who are helping residents with dining, are they standing over the residents or are they sitting or kneeling next to a side of the residents? 
Um, how are they treating them? Are they talking, are the um, aides talking to each other or are they engaged with the residents? All these things, that those aren't things that I've made up or I've identified as concerns. I do think they're concerned, but these are things that CMS has been talking about for years. Uh, in 2009, they actually reissued some, some guidelines just about dining, about not using bibs, about not using paper plates, about not talking over residents, because quality of life is integral to quality of care. Quality of life in the dining experience is critical to ensuring that people have one, a decent quality of life, a decent dining experience, but also that they receive the nutrition and the hydration that they need to survive and hopefully thrive to the greatest extent possible. So a little bit about investigation that I mentioned before, the critical, um, criti the, the CEs, sorry about that, critical element pathways. So as I said a number of times, the majority of survey time should be spent observing and interviewing with relevant review of records to complete investigation. They should use Appendix PP, which is Appendix PP refers to the state operations manual for the surveyors, and that talks about the guidelines, what we are expecting when we, uh, excuse me, what we're expecting to happen in terms of some of the relevant standards and the critical element pathways. Uh, so I included a couple of things here about the critical element pathways. We see below in blue, the instructions from CMS on the critical element pathways. So the pathways, this, this is in italics, so this is CMS language, not my language, CMS language. The pathways include guidance on the areas, for example, the MDS, positions orders, and care plan that should be reviewed initially to help guide your observations and interviews. The pathways include observation, interview, and record review investigative probes for a number of care areas including pressure ulcers and dialysis. And on the right-hand side in the orange box, I also wanted to include another quote. The critical element pathways are critical components of care. They cover provision of care and services, as well as the facility assessment and care planning for the residents. So a lot of ways in which, in which this is important. Medication. Now, you heard me say a number of times that the surveyors are expected to be looking at medication, they're expected to be looking at uh, and investigating residents who have uh, an issue of taking medications, including psychotropic drugs, including heart medications, etc. CMS recommends that the medication review be conducted by either a nurse or a pharmacist on the surveyor team. If possible, they should observe medication administration for a sampled resident whose medication regimen is being reviewed. Otherwise, they should observe medications for any resident to whom the nurse is ready to administer meds. They should be doing observations during different units and different shifts. They should observe 25 of these medication opportunities, as they call them. If they're observing administration of controlled medications, they should reconcile the count of the medication and ensure that medications haven't expired. And we're seeing this more and more as, as an issue in terms of the controlled medications, that sometimes controlled medications are stolen, um, sometimes they're used by, um, by the caregiver, sometimes they're sold by the caregiver. So it doesn't happen all the time, but it's something that we see uh, more and more. The Medicaid Pro Control Unit uh, identifies a lot of these with 
what are commonly called nurse jackie issues where someone is stealing you know pain meds etc sometimes they're putting in a different med sometimes they're just giving the resident nothing uh etc so it's important that they are that the survey team is looking at this uh, more widely and more effectively lastly the survey team is expected to observe half of the medication medica- medication storage room and half of the medication carts there's an issue identified, they should expand the sample. So all of this gets at, you know, are we effectively ensuring that the medications are appropriate for the resident and given to the residents appropriately? And it's really, these are major issues that have been identified by researchers, identified by the uh, Office of the Inspector General, and identified, as I said, in by the Medicaid Floor Control Unit. So it's really important that the that the integrity of medication, how it's going to be given to residents, uh, controlled substances, etc. But also, you know, substances, excuse me, drugs that aren't controlled but that are vital or potentially dangerous to residents, that they are safeguarded and given appropriately. Uh, we're closing up soon, so I know again it's been a pretty intensive and pretty, um, pretty hopefully informative program. Again, all the materials, all this information is available on our website, but I want to include a few, a couple more slides on things that I thought were important. So the resident council interview. The surveyor should conduct a group interview with active members of the resident council. The interview should occur early enough in the survey to afford enough time to investigate any concerns, as I mentioned before, but I think that was worth mentioning again. The interview it should be focused on specific areas related to the functioning of the council, as well as a few resident-specific areas, such as, is there sufficient staff? Is there resident abuse or neglect? In addition, the surveyor should be asking the group about any identified concerns from the survey. So what that means is if the surveyor, as I say, we're really trying to hopefully equip and empower the surveyor and the surveyor team to be conducting a vigorous investigation, if they've identified problems, they should be raising that with the resident council. If the resident council is not raising raising those problems themselves. Sufficient and competent care staff. Now, this is an issue that is close to my heart. It's, I think, critical, you know, study after study. I'm sure I don't have to tell most of you have identified that staffing is key and probably the biggest, the most important indicator of the quality of care in nursing home as, as any other indicator out there. It is now a mandatory task that surveyors review staffing to ensure that the facility has both sufficient and competent nurse staffing. And CMS says, I want to include a quote here, surveyors are always considering whether staffing issues can be linked to resident complaints or quality of life or quality of care concerns. I just think that is so, so incredibly important. And again, why am I saying this here? Why am I repeating it? from what we talked about briefly before, because if you are working with resident or family councils, if you're on a resident or family council, it is so important, I think, 
to make sure that you know that you have the right to raise these issues and that these issues must be addressed by the survey team. So it's not to say they're going to come in and they're going to order more staffing. They're not going to do that. It's not going to say that they're necessarily going to even cite for staffing. But what we are hoping to see is that there is a better assessment and analysis and accountability for having the right number of staff and having staff that have the training necessary to provide services and to meet the needs of residents. And as they state here, as CMS states here, that goes to both quality of life and quality of care and is to address resident complaints because that is, I would say, you know, we, we do a lot of research studies on I read a lot of research studies, but I know from what I hear from ombudsmen and families and from residents year after year, program after program that I do is staffing. So I thought this was so important, and I really want to express to you that you now have um, a better way to support, I think, your advocacy on this issue. This is something certainly we'll talk about more in the future. Lastly, when will we see the results of some of these changes? So, uh, I, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, there is a lot going on with different changes to the survey system, as we were talking about today, different changes to the rules and the regulations, and that is affecting what we will see, how the information made available to the public about nursing homes is changing. So just very quickly, and you can see this is I cut out from the CMS memorandum um, it's summary, but CMS is saying that they're going to freeze the health inspection star rating on nursing home compare for one year. So until the end of next November, November 27th of 2018, the star rating will be frozen for all nursing homes. However, those findings from the surveys will be available. So what CMS is saying essentially is that they're giving the industry some time to um, to adapt, they're giving surveyors some time to adapt, etc. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, to be honest. I, I do understand that, you know, when systems change, that there can be uh, strengths and weaknesses to what happens going forward uh, as people adjust and as the data are adjusted. At the same time, because, as I mentioned before, study after study has shown that problems, uh, including abuse and neglect, tend to be under-identified by surveyors, uh, we would want to see an improved accuracy as quickly as possible. So uh, just a couple of thoughts there on that. And I am going to just lastly mention that, again, um, thank you for joining us. If you would like to get our alerts and materials uh, for future programs, et cetera, and our newsletters, please email info at ltccc.org or call us at 212-385-0355. Again, this program is available on our website now in a PDF form, and the recording will be available uh, hopefully by the end of the week. You can also join us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash ltccc, and then on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash ltcconsumer. I'm going to first answer a couple of questions came up online, and then I will open it up for people to uh, ask questions. So um, 
The first question is, uh, I have heard examples of surveyors actually eating directly off the residence tray. Is this encouraged? I would say no. Um, the residence tray is the residence tray. I mean, I wouldn't want someone coming up and eating off of my plate um, that I did not know and that I may not have gotten given permission to. So I would say no. Um, now, if a surveyor wants to sample a meal that came out, I think that there are certainly ways to do that, and that should be uh, encouraged. Uh, another person asked, does nurse staffing include CNAs? So, uh, yes, generally speaking, you know, when we talk about um, care staff, um, you know, we include CNAs, LPNs, and RNs. But when we talk about, when we divide them up, we talk about uh, professional staff would be the RNs and the LPNs or the LVNs, and the CNAs would would be, um, you know, they're, they're certified nurse aides, so they're not uh, professional caregivers. Oh, and Maria, thank you. This has been a common practice here in upstate New York, as they feel sample train might be better than the residence trays. Um, that's that's interesting. I mean, I guess I've never heard it encouraged uh, at all. I've never heard it really addressed. I think I can't speak for people at CMS, but I think that it would raise some concerns, and I can't imagine that they would recommend that. However, if it's... Um, you know, depending upon the situation, I would, you know, I, I think fundamentally it's important to be respectful of the resident and of the resident's um, food and of the resident's surroundings, et cetera. So I think that that is more important. I think that there's probably, I would say, a way to get a sample without taking food directly from a resident's plate. Uh, I would also be concerned about sharing um, one way or the other, germs, et cetera. So I, um, I'm not a clinician, so I, you know, I want to be very careful about that, but I think that that could be problematic. Uh, I'm going to open it up to questions. If it does get to be a little too loud, I'm going to mute everyone, and you could press star six to unmute. Hi, so are there any questions or comments? Okay. Hello? Hi, yes. Yes. Um, I called Lou after one, and uh, they said, you know, we didn't start yet, and I had to go take care of a uh, doctor for the last minute and uh, took care of something. So I got in late. When will this be able to catch us on tape? Uh, um, I, I, I expect by the end of the week, by Friday. And what number is for the office numbers? Oh, no, we'll um, it'll be on our website. It's nursinghome411.org. Yeah, problems I can't get over to uh, a computer thing. Uh, well, that's unfortunately the only way that we have it. We could send you a copy of the PDF file. Oh, yeah, that I usually get. Okay, this good. My nursing home, they expect any day we're supposed to be getting it, the, the survey started, so I wanted to know. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, so the material should, should be helpful. Because what I tried to do in the program is really lay out some of the things that um, the survey team should be doing, some of the instructions for the survey team, but also some of the areas that we thought were important related to food service, medication, uh, staffing, resident and family interviews, et cetera. Okay. Thank you Thank very you. much. Sure, you're very welcome. Uh, any other questions? I'm just going to look at the 
Yes, I have one question. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling from New York, you know, Bronx, New York. I'm a co-chair of a family council, and I was wondering why this family council is not listed as one of the groups to be interviewed. Well, what CMS has done is, I mean, the family council is, is kind of secondary in the work that CMS is doing to the resident council. So it is, the family council can be interviewed but they are, the expectation is that they'll be talking to the resident council, um, you know, as a primary contact, and then I would say, you know, I don't want to speak for CMS, but I would say that the family council um, would be uh, a secondary point of contact. And that's just in line with a lot of what I see they're doing, which I don't necessarily agree with, because I think that especially for residents with dementia, um, brain injury, uh, et cetera, that they, uh, the, the families do provide a, you know, an extremely important voice. So this is what I'm seeing CMS doing in the new regulations is that they tend to be more focused on the resident council. I would say... Yeah, go ahead, Charles. Oh, I was just going to add something to that, uh, that in addition, um, by uh, state, uh, New York State regulations mandate that every nursing facility must have a resident council. There is no similar regulation for a family council. Nursing home is not in violation of anything if they don't have the family council, but they must establish a resident council, so that would also put them more under the under the jurisdiction of the DOH. And uh, and that also leads to an issue that, you know, I wonder if you have any thoughts on, uh, that I get frequent complaints from family members saying, well, you know, the survey team was here, but either I didn't know they were here or I couldn't talk to them or I go when the doors were closed. I know you mentioned this in your presentation, uh, but it still does come up a lot. And... Um, uh, and uh, when I've spoken to uh, team leaders, uh, they're not always very proactive in seeking family members out or welcoming many of them to come in. So just, you know, maybe if there's some kind of, like, uh, strategies family members can use for getting their feet in the door that might be more effective. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Carl. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm thinking, I'm just going to mute everyone for one second. I could do that. Um, so, with Charles, is that family members, and I would say, you know, residents as well, and resident council and family council members, uh, often feel shut out by the by the survey team or not really reached out to in a way that is conducive to contributing. Uh, either way. I think that the new regulations uh, and the new survey guidelines, which are different from the regulations, support a more effective uh, input from the families and the residents, and they require that the surveyors uh, pay more attention to them. And as I've noted a couple of times earlier on in the survey, so that those that input that they receive can be used as effectively as possible. So. I'm hoping in the future programs that we'll do, uh, that I hope that we'll do, to focus on that more. And, you know, we're very interested in supporting the resident and the family councils. Uh, in particular, you know, we've worked with family councils and ombudsmen in recent years and equipping them to help their family councils and their resident councils to um, to take advantage of the new law and the new regulations 
uh, and a new requirement for the survey team to get their foot in the door, as, as Charles put it. Uh, are there any other questions or comments? Hi. Yeah, hi, I have a question. In the I can hear you. Hello. As yes. an advocacy organization, we don't take on the issue of staffing a bit more directly. Um, there are no requirements in terms of actual numbers or ratios. Whether that's something that we can address and advocate for, it seems that staffing always is a central issue, you know, that we're coming up against. And although they say they're looking at adequate, quote-unquote, adequate staffing, there are no lines in terms of numbers, you know, about what that means. In, in my facility and every facility that I've ever been in, you know, people, are, residents and families are telling us that there are just simply not enough staff to meet the needs of the residents. Thank you. I, I just muted it so I could so I could respond to that. Uh, so what this person was saying about about she's with an advocacy organization and she was you know asking about about staffing because the because staffing is such a um, such a critical issue and the lack of staffing is a um, such a significant problem and because there are no concrete staffing standards. What can you do about that? So I think that I think that is extremely challenging. I mean, it's been one of our issues, uh, one of our core issues, I should say, for a very long period of time. I think some of the things that we see in the new regulations and, and here in the new uh, requirements for the survey team, they do, uh, as I mentioned, address staffing hopefully more effectively. Uh, I did a study in 2000. 15 that looked at uh, staffing and we found it's on our website um, and we found that staffing is very rarely cited for and even when there's low staffing it's very rarely identified as having caused harm to residents when there is low staffing but uh, I think we know from you know a lot of the problems that we see when someone someone's call bell isn't answered and they get out of bed to go to the bathroom and they slip and fall and they hurt themselves when pressure ulcers develop because someone hasn't received the appropriate treatment or hasn't been been turned in, in her, his or her bed, et cetera, that that is quite often due to, to very low staffing, to be honest. Um, so I think that, I think that we have some stronger tools here to hold them accountable, hold providers accountable for ensuring that they're safe staffing. I would like to mention that we, our latest issue alert uh, that we just released last week is on staffing standards. It's available on our website, nursinghome411.org. So this just came out last week. We have also posted set, excuse me, staffing citations for every nursing home in the country that's been cited in the past three years. And I would say most importantly is that we just put up the staffing um, ratios or rates for every nursing home that has reported to CMS. So, so I'll just spend a moment on this and this is something we could again talk about more in the future. But uh, CMS started requiring about a year and a half ago that nursing homes report their staffing levels based upon an auditable 
payroll-based system. Up until now, nursing homes were reporting their staffing based upon the um, period immediately before their annual survey, and that was neither audited, uh, excuse me, wasn't audited by either the state or the federal government. So there was, it was widely acknowledged, I would say, that those numbers were inflated. The, what we have now is these payroll-based staffing data. They are not on Nursing Home Compare yet. They won't be on Nursing Home Compare till sometime it's expected later this year. What we've done at LTCCC is that we downloaded all those data for the last quarter available because they're, they're, they come out quarterly. That's for 2017, the second quarter, and we have averaged the staffing data for RNs, uh, LPNs, and CNAs, and we've also computed the average hours per resident day for all care staff and for RN care staff. And those are in state files, so you can look at or download your state file, and you can sort it by, you, you, well, first of all, you can look up the facility name. You can sort A to B for facility, A to Z, excuse me, for facility name, or you can sort it for highest to lowest RN staffing, highest to lowest, um, you know, uh, overall staffing, et cetera. So those, um, that information I think should be very useful. And the reason why I wanted to spend a few moments to mention it now is because in the absence of concrete standards, um, we want to equip the residents, families, ombudsmen, advocates, the communities with the most accurate information possible about the staffing in their nursing homes. And being able to use that information can help in your advocacy if you're in an individual nursing home or in selecting a nursing home in your area. So hopefully that will be helpful. Uh, again, the latest data we had, which we um, I double-checked on January 8th, is for the um, second quarter of 2017, but we will be updating that periodically. Uh, so I hope that's helpful. There's certainly a lot more we can do about advocacy on staffing. Um, and we're certainly very interested in it. Are there any more questions? I'm having trouble hearing you. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute everyone. If you press star six on your phone, you could be unmuted. So if you press star six, if you have a question, please press star six on your phone because it's a little bit hard to hear. But I thought someone had a question. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes. Hi. Yes. I have a. a not really about the survey, but it has to do with um, uh, re religious accommodation. Okay. Um, if a person is uh, strictly kosher, and they do provide uh, kosher uh, meals, but they uh, also provide um, a microwave for the for the residents to use, which is not uh, kosher, and is it uh, should they be required as a as an accommodation to uh, a supply, or put it this way, the resident will supply his own uh, microwave. 
Is uh, there any regulation to that or anything, rules or guidelines? Uh, you know, sir, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, I really can't answer that. I know that this has been an issue. Um, uh, I know that this has been an issue that's come up in different ways in terms of accommodating people who are kosher in residents that may not be kosher and and, and accommodating people who are not kosher. Um, in facilities that are kosher only, and to be honest, and, you know, and to be honest, in my experience over the years, uh, you know, including with different DOH staff over the years, is that, it, at least as far as I know, it, it wasn't always clear, um, you know. But that's really just based upon very limited information. So I would say, you know, hopefully. What we try to do is encourage the facilities and the residents and whoever's working else might be working with them to try to find an accommodation that is safe and that works for all parties. And I would suggest, you know, um, calling or sending a question into the Department of Health because they would, you know, obviously know more precisely. But in my experience, when you know when I've heard about questions like this, I, I haven't always gotten this is goes back, you know, many years now, I haven't always gotten a consistent idea of, of how to work that out, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Thank you yeah, very I'm much. Sorry I provide, yeah, sorry I couldn't provide a better answer on that. No, no, listen, no, a, good, a good, honest answer is always the best. I know how, <laughs> I, I know how to work, at least, you know, how to deal with it. They're, being, they're trying, there's always waiting for one more approval, this and that. I just was wondering if there's something I can, you know, pull out and say, hey, look at this, you know. Yeah. No, okay. No, not that I know of anyway, not that I know of. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Thank you. I don't know unless I ask. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. And uh, also, I want you to know, I don't catch all the programs every month, but all those that I catch and the material that you send me is very, very informative and very helpful. Oh, I really appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Thank you very much. Yes, and I'm on the resident council also now, so. And oh, wonderful. So it's interesting because they're, they've been saying, Mr. Dr who else do you have? Isn't it just happens a few people are left, they went home, thank goodness, and a couple passed away. So I'm the only one left right now. And, uh, but, okay. But things will well, be good. thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us. And good luck with thank your work. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Well, unless there are further questions, we're going to end here.